Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Today we are starting a brand new series that we're calling Stand Firm, Love Well. Stand Firm, Love Well. And I don't know if you know this, but we live in a world where it's really hard to do both of those things. Um, That we live in a world where there seems to be this very real tension a lot of times between church and culture. Uh, There's tension between what we talk about in church and what's actually happening in the world. That there's tension between what we see in the Bible and what we see online. And I don't know if you feel this. I don't know that if you've ever felt this. Uh, Maybe you felt this in relationships. Maybe you felt this very real tension in certain relationships. Maybe you felt this within maybe family members. And there's conversations that you get in where you feel this very real tension between church and culture, between what God says and what culture says. Maybe you felt this at your job and and at work. And it just, man, I feel like there is this tension. Maybe you feel this at school. And there's, there's just this very real tension that often, so what do we do when we feel this tension? And here's what culture will tell us. Culture tells us when we feel this tension, we have to pick a side. You either have to stand firm in your beliefs, what God says, what the Bible says, or you have to love well. And by the way, I, I love the graphic that we made because I feel like it, it explains that. It's either like you've either got to stand firm and that's greater than loving well or stand firm is less than loving well. And you've got to choose one of those. And we, we put a line through those and we said, no, you can do both. You can stand firm and you can love well. But in this series, we're going to find that that's what God calls us to that God calls us to do both. And in this series, we're gonna be looking at the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. And this is a book of the Bible with some of the most classic, iconic stories that we find in the Bible. It's stories that I grew up learning about in Sunday school. Come on, how many of you grew up going to Sunday school? Just raise your hand. I mean, that's old school. I grew up going to an hour, a dedicated hour before church to be able to learn about the Bible in what I believe is the worst name in all of church history, Sunday school. Like nobody's excited to get to that. I don't know what the creative meeting was like for that one. It's like, come on, let's brainstorm this guys a little bit. And it's like Sunday school. Yes, that's it. That's what we got to call it. Sunday school. It'll draw everybody. Everybody will come. I digress. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, there's stories that are found in Daniel that, that are just classic stories, like Daniel and the lion's den is found in the book of Daniel. And uh, the, the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you grew up on VeggieTales, uh, Rack, Shack, and Benny. Uh, come on, how, how many know about Rack, Shack, and Benny? You grew up with the modern theologians of Larry and Bob. And uh, that's how you learned about the Bible is VeggieTales. Um, But more than classic stories, the book of Daniel, um, what we'll see is that more than like these classic, really cool veggie tales or Sunday school stories, that so much of the book of of Daniel, it actually applies to us today because they experienced that same exact tension. 
Like, do we stand firm or do we love well between what God says and what culture says? And when we feel that tension, what do we do? And in this series, we will learn that they did both, that they stood firm and they loved well. So today, if you're taking notes, we're going to kick off this series with a message called The Uncomfortable Middle. The uncomfortable middle. And we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start right off the bat, verse 1. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who, by the way, Babylon was the world's superpower at the time. It was known as like this godless, secular nation. And they came to Jerusalem and besieged it, meaning they captured it. And the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah, so, so, so actually God let the Babylonian team win over the, the people of God and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So they took stuff from the church. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in, in the treasure house of his God. Then he ordered old Ash, Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So they defeat the people of God. Then they take a whole bunch of the people of God to Babylon as captives, as slaves, and they would be slaves for the next 70 years. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, select only strong, healthy and good-looking young men. Just if you're standing beside somebody, sitting beside somebody that fits that description, say, they're talking about you in church. And it says, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. In other words, they were saying, go find the best of the best and train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. In other words, like completely immerse and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian culture. Like, and the whole goal and the whole purpose of doing that was to transform them from Israelites, the people of God, into Babylon. So they were trying to turn them into Babylonians to stop thinking and living God's way and start thinking and living their way. And they were to be trained for three years doing this. So for three years, they were being indoctrinated inside this new culture. And then they would enter the royal service. And then it lists these four guys. That's all throughout the book. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Now for the rest of chapter one, we're going to see that culture has an agenda. And by the way, culture has an agenda right now. And by the way, let, let me just make this perfectly clear right from the jump. I'm not anti-culture. I'm anti-following culture because I'm pro-following Jesus. In fact, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, he becomes your Lord, which means he's in charge which means what he says go, that he's in the driver's seat, not you. See, I follow Jesus, not culture. And I believe that Jesus has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. 
to influence culture, not to be influenced by culture. But when we look at the rest of Daniel chapter one, we will see that culture will always try to do three things. And the first thing I see when we read through their story, we see that the first thing culture will try to do is change our identity. So write that down if you're taking notes, that culture will try to change our identity. We see this in the very next verse, in verse 7. It says, the chief of staff, that was was Ash, Ash Ashpenaz, he renamed them with these Babylonian names. See, Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. So if you see, they literally give them new names. They change Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, which was one of their Babylonian pagan gods, will protect. They change Hananiah, which means God shows grace. Like, God's so gracious. My name screams that to Shadrach, which is inspired of Aku, which is another, god, another uh, one of their gods. And Mishael says, means who is like God, and they change that to Meshach, which means belonging to Aku. And then Azariah, which means God is my help. They change that to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, which was another one of their Babylonian gods. And notice, they go from names and identities that point to God, to names that point to pagan Babylonian gods. Notice they they just don't change their name, they change their identities. They say, this is who you are now. This is who you worship. This is who gets you all of your attention. This is who you are now. And I'm telling you, culture is trying to do the same thing to you, to change your identity by giving you a brand new name. See, my parents, when I was born, named me Brian Ross Cromer. Some of you didn't know my middle name. Yeah, it's Ross. So, hello, my name is Brian. So my parents gave me this name. And I asked my mom last night, like, hey, just out of curiosity, why did you name me Brian Ross Cromer? And she said, well, because we just liked it. Like, there was like, no, like, deep... No, it's just, we, we liked it. Okay. Um, and so this was the name that my parents gave me. Now, over the last 39 years, though, I've picked up so many other names along the way. I picked up so many other labels along the way that I could just fill my whole body with descriptions of what I've been able to give. Some of these I've picked up along the way myself that I kind of relate to. It's like, oh, this is me. This is who I am. Sometimes it's been by like stage of life and this stage of life. Okay, so now I'm a dad. And so maybe it's, it's been by stage of life. Sometimes it's my mistakes have become part of who I am and become part of my label. And it's the lies of the enemy that he's told me, here's who you are now. And also culture. Culture has given me names and given me identity and tried to tell me who I am. But long before my parents gave me a name, Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16, it says, you, talking about God, formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside. 
and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do, including me, everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. So when culture tries to change my identity, and it's going to happen, So when culture tries to change my identity and tell me who I am, I have decided I am going to let the one who designed me define me. See, I've just made a decision that when I am face-to-face with that part of what culture is trying to do to change my identity, I've decided that I'm going to let the one who designed me define me. And he says, by the way, I'm about to rapid fire some stuff. You are not going to be able to write this down in time, okay? And here's what he says. He says, I am a child of God. He says, I am a new creation. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am free. I am healed. I am secure. I am known. I am a masterpiece. I have purpose. I am the light of the world. I am Christ's ambassador, and I am more than a conqueror. That's who God says I am. And I want you to know that's who God says you are. God says today, that's how I made you. I made you that way. That's how I made you. And the only one who has the right to define you is the one who designed you. So when culture tries to change my identity, I've just decided that I'm going to let the one who designed me define me. And we will also see, as we continue to read this story, that culture we'll try to, number two, compromise our convictions. We will see this in the story. In fact, the next verse, in in verse eight, it says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself. There was a conviction there. He said, I'm determined that I'm, even though I'm in this country, I'm not going to defile myself. Even though you give me a new name, I am determined not to defile myself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And so he asked the chief of staff for permission. And I love that he did this. I love that he did this so respectfully, that he asked for permission He didn't demand and pound his fist in defiance and say, this is what I'm supposed to do. And no, he just politely asked for permission. And it says that he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. And you may be thinking, like, what's the big deal? It's just food. Just eat the food. But what we don't know that they knew is that eating that specific food would be breaking multiple Jewish dietary laws and and it, I, think, I think if we were put ourselves in Daniel's position right there, I think it would have been so easy in that moment just to give in, to, to not say something, to not ask for permission, to not make waves, to just justify 
that like why this wasn't that big of a deal. It, like it's just eating some food. I'm like, I'm not hurting anybody. Like what is the harm in that? And it would have been so easy for him to right there in that moment to compromise his convictions, to lower his standards. And a lot of you right now, right in your life, at your job, in your relationships, right now, you feel the same pressure from culture to compromise your convictions or to lower your standards. And culture would just shout at you, what, like, it's not that big of a deal. What's the big deal? And just warning, I just want you to know this right off the bat. See, I love you enough to always tell you the truth. And so just warning, if you are following Jesus, if you've made a decision to give him your life, to let him not only be your savior, but to be your Lord. And you are following him. I'm telling you, if you're following Jesus, there's going to be a time where following Jesus is going to go against culture. There's going to be a time where God's ways are not gonna always line up with culture. That there's gonna be times where you're gonna feel pressure to compromise your convictions or lower your standards. And when that happens, I've just made a decision. See, I have decided that when that happens, that God's word is going to be my standard of truth. I've just made that decision that when I feel that tension, when I feel that tension that is, man, compromise your convictions here, lower your standards here. No, I have decided that God's word is going to be my standard of truth. Now, this book is so much more than a bunch of old, out-of-date like stories, is so much more than just a whole list of rules and regulations. No, the, the Bible is the infallible, perfect, powerful, alive word of God. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, it says every part of scripture, cover to cover, every part, even the parts I don't like, even the parts that get all up in my kitchen, even the parts that I don't agree with, that every part of scripture is God breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. See, the Bible is composed of 66 books, 1,189 chapters, and 31,102 verses. And every single word is breathed by God and exists for you to get to know him and to improve your life, to make your life better, not worse. And here's what I've just determined is that the Bible doesn't change to align with my feelings or my preferences. No, I change to align with this. In other words, I don't change God's word. I let God's word change me. And so when culture tries to compromise my convictions, I have decided that God's word is going to be my standard of truth. So culture will try to, one, change our identity, two, compromise our convictions. And then number three, we see, if we continue to read, that culture will also create a confrontation. We'll see this happen. So remember, what happened right before that? What happened right before that was that Daniel said, hey, I feel like that would be compromising my conviction, and I'm going to politely ask if I don't have to do that, okay? The very next verse, verse 9, 
It says, now God had given the chief of staff, that's Ashpenaz, the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. That's good. But he responded, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other use your age, I am afraid that the king will have me beheaded. So in Daniel chapter 8, I mean, in, in, in 1 verse 8, he refuses to compromise his convictions, lowers the standard. He asks the God politely in charge for permission to not eat the food. But in these verses, he says, nope. And right there in that moment, there's a confrontation between what God says and what culture says. And maybe you're feeling that right here, right now. Or maybe over this past year, you felt that. Is that, I feel like God says this, but the world's saying this. And there's this confrontation that happens. And it feels like this tug of war between what God says and what culture says. And neither one seems to be budging. So what do we do when that happens? And often, I think we respond with one of two extremes. On one, one, on one extreme, we stand firm. I'm not budging. I'm right, you're wrong, lying in the sand, us versus in mentality. If you're not with me, then you're against me. If you don't agree with me, then we can't even have a relationship that if you do something or you say something that I don't like, I create a wall and I cancel you. Stand firm. But then on the other end, there's this other extreme of just love well. And so I keep the peace at all times, all in the name of love, that whatever is okay, you be you. Truth is whatever you want it to be, it's relative. So if it lines up with God's word, great. If not, that's okay too. As long as we just love each other. And too often, we feel like we've got to choose from one of these two extremes, this pendulum that swings from stand firm or love well. But I'm here to tell you, church, that there's another option, that there's an uncomfortable middle. And let me just tell you, it is uncomfortable. And it's rare. And there's not necessarily the, 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 it's the most common response. So it's very uncomfortable. There's an uncomfortable middle where you stand firm and you love well. So here's what I've decided, that when culture tries to create this confrontation, you choose a side. I've decided I will fight, and it is a fight. I will fight to stay in the uncomfortable middle. And what we see is that that's exactly what Daniel does. Listen to the very next verse in verse 11. It says, Daniel, he spoke again with the attendant who had been appointed by the, by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And listen to this. Again, please, please, so much humility in that approach. It's not demanding. There's so much humility there. Like, please, in, in this approach, there's so much respect for someone who believes something different than him. There was so much honor for someone who is in authority over him. Do you see this? Just in that one word, please. So much humility, so much honor, so much respect. Please test us for 10 days. Like give us this trial run for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. By the way, this is where we get the, the term Daniel fast. It's right there. 
And at the end of those 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Can we meet somewhere in the middle? Can we find the uncomfortable middle here? Is there any way? And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion. Not a right, not a demand, not this rigid demand, but a humble suggestion. And tested him for 10 days. And look at the result. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends, they looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who'd been eating the food assigned to the king. But it gets even better than that. So after that, the attendant fed them, all of them, only vegetables instead of the food and the wine provided by the others. See, with so much humility, he fights to find a solution in the uncomfortable middle, and he finds a way to both stand firm and love well. And the result wasn't just that he was able to stay right there in the uncomfortable middle, but that he was able to influence others. He was able to influence the culture. He made a difference, and that's the goal for us too. See, the goal is not to be right. The goal is to make a difference. That is the goal. That is what God is calling us to do. You want to know your ultimate purpose? It is to make a difference in the lives of other people. It is all our purposes is that. And God designed you in such a way where we get to do that in all these different ways. But the goal is not when we feel this confrontation to be right. The goal is to make a difference. And see, nobody in the Bible is better at that than Jesus. See, when you read about Jesus, you will see on one hand, he was completely perfect and holy. Yet, he was also known as being friend of sinners. Like that's what people labeled him as. Friend of sinners. And all throughout the Bible, you see him hanging out and loving people that you wouldn't expect. And at the same time, he never compromised who he was and what he believed. In fact, John chapter 1, verse 14, I think it's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. If you're here today and you're wanting to know who is Jesus, here's Jesus. Says the word, talking about Jesus, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is, full, 100%, overflowing, full of grace and truth. I love that description of Jesus. And by the way, it's always in that order. Grace always leads the way with Jesus, grace and truth. In church, we are called to follow that Jesus. That's who we are called to follow, is follow that Jesus, to follow his example of grace and truth. Because here's what I found. Truth without grace is mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. But grace and truth together, oh, that's good medicine. See, Jesus, full of grace. See, he loved well and truth. He stood firm. So one of the best examples of this that I can find in the Bible is in John chapter 8. And it's one, of my, it's one of my most favorite stories in all the Bible with Jesus. And we see this picture of him being grace and truth on full display. 
And in John chapter eight and verse one, here's how the story goes. Says Jesus, he returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple and a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he began to teach them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, all the church religious people, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being at a church service and all of a sudden you get interrupted because somebody is dragging in somebody who had just been caught in the very act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. You see how it's so easy to just put her down right there. Don't even call her by name. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. See, the law of Moses says to stone her. And by the way, that is like to pick up rocks and to throw until she's executed, not the other recreational use, okay? So the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And right there, that line, that question is the tension that we often feel right now. What do you say? With all the things that are happening in the world right now, come on, what's your take? What do you say? What do you say about what's everything that's happening? What do, you, what do you say about racism? What do you say about the police? What do you say about privilege? What do you say about sexuality and gender? What do you say about politics or the election, COVID, mass, vaccine? What do you say? What do you say about little Nas X's shoes? I'm not joking, I bet I got asked 10 times that. What do you say? What's your take? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that tension? It's like, what do you say? Hey, I know you go to church. What do you say? That's your job. When it feels like it's so hard to live for God and you're at, at the and you're in the lunch break. People open up social media, see what's happening in the world. What do you say? What do you say? You feel that tension. Like, what do, what do I say? If you've ever felt that, here's what I want you to understand. The truth of this scripture is that Jesus understands. Jesus understands what that feels like. He's right there in the middle of it. They say, what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? And it goes on to say they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. See, because if he said, yep, she's guilty and must die, then that would discredit everything that he was doing up until that point, and he would lose his reputation of being the friend of sinners. But if he said, no, she shouldn't die, then he would be openly breaking the law and right then and there could be arrested. So what is it, Jesus? What do you say? Are you gonna stand firm or are you gonna love well? And listen to his response. Jesus is such a G. Listen to what he says. He says, but Jesus, he stooped down, all quiet, and rode in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding, 
an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned, if you've never made a mistake, if you're perfect, if the things that were in your behind the scenes were exposed, that if you're here and you've never sinned, you throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. Now we don't know what he wrote. See, my exegetical imagination, I think he started just writing the names of the people that were there, mistresses. Barbara. <laughs> Keisha. Yeah. Listen what, the, listen what the reaction was. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left. See, when everybody else leaves, Jesus will stay right there. He won't leave. And Jesus was left in, in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And Jesus said, neither do I. Grace. But he doesn't end it there. Neither do I. Grace. Go and sin no more. Truth. He says, I know what you've done. And by the way, I still love you. I love you just as much as before you made that mistake. I love you and I forgive you. And you're still welcome. And you're still accepted with me. But I've got so much more for you than that. I've got a better life for you. Like you don't have to live that way anymore. Neither do I, grace. Go and sin no more, truth. You see it? Grace and truth. Stand firm and love well. The uncomfortable middle. And church, let me remind you that we are called to follow that Jesus. So today, I'm calling our church. Today, if you call this church home, I'm calling our church, I'm calling Queen City Church to tightly hold God's truth. And freely give God's grace to do both, to tightly hold God's truth and freely give God's grace, to stand firm and love well, the uncomfortable middle. And the church gave a big amen. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and just ask God right now, just pray right where you're at. Say, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me? Maybe ask him this, like what does my response need to be to this message? See, we believe that our Sunday should always affect our Monday. So ask him, how can my life look different because of the conversation that we just had? And let him speak to you. And maybe you're here and you feel that tension, that pull from culture 
to change your identity or to compromise your convictions, lower your standards, or maybe you're right now, you like what you've experienced and that you're face-to-face with some conflict between the two and right now you need some help. Maybe you need wisdom. Maybe you need courage. Maybe you just need like just conviction to stay in the uncomfortable middle, to stand firm and to love well, to be like Jesus and still maintain that balance of grace and truth. And if you're here and that's you, I just wanna pray for you. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. That's kind of where I feel it. I feel like that's where I'm at. I, I'm in a place where I need, to, I need to be in the uncomfortable middle. That's great, that's great, that's great, that's awesome. God, I just ask right now for the people that are experiencing that right now in their real life, in their jobs, in their schools, in everything that's happening, God, right now, I pray that you give them conviction, conviction to stand firm and to love well. God, I pray in that doctor's office. God, I pray on that construction site. I pray in that, in that college class, wherever that they are. God, I just pray that you give them conviction to represent you, Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. And I pray that you give wisdom in any area of their life where they need wisdom of how to be able to do that. Give them strategy, give them grace, like really just create a way for them to know wisdom, to know what's right. But also God, I pray for courage to do what's right. Will you fill people that call this church home with courage to be able to live outside of these walls the way that you've called us to. And God, I ask for you to do that. But maybe you're here and you feel very far from God. And maybe at one point you felt like really close, but now you feel far from God. And I just want you to know that with every eye still closed and head bowed, that today you can experience grace. You can experience just like exactly what the lady in John chapter eight experienced. Like you can experience that. You can experience the grace that can only come from Jesus. And today you can experience that type of love and forgiveness. And you can experience, get this, a fresh start. And here's how. By making the most important decision of your life, the decision to say yes to Jesus, to give him your life, to start or to restart a relationship with him. At the very beginning of the message, we celebrated together the fact that 60 people made that decision last week at Easter. But listen, you can make that decision today Today could be your day. And we're not gonna point you out, make you come forward or embarrass you in any way. That if you're here and you know that's the decision that you need to make today, that you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to start a relationship with him. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus or maybe you have in the past. And today you need to restart your relationship because you just feel far from God and you need a fresh start. If that's you, all I wanna do is lead you in a very simple prayer. And if you're here and you wanna be included in that prayer, I am gonna ask you to take one step of faith. And that's with every eye closed to put your hand in the air on the count of three and say, include me in that prayer. It's for you to put your hand up before God in humility and say, God, I need you. So if you're here and that's you on the count of three, put your hand in the air, one, two, three. Put it in here, I got you, I got you, I got you. It's awesome, it's awesome, it's awesome. It's awesome. Anybody else? I got you. I got you. If you're watching online, if that's you, just right where you're at, just raise your hand in the air and say, hey, God knows he sees you. Say, that's me. That's me. And just pray this in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you. Will you come live inside me? 
And will you change me? And will you make me brand new? I surrender my whole life to you. I give you my life. And today, I choose to follow you. We thank you for Jesus, who is full of grace and full of truth. And it's in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, church. Can you clap your hands and celebrate with all those that just made that decision? That's awesome. We are so proud of you. We're so proud of you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People.